Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here today. God, we just want to exalt you, lift you up, Lord, for by you and through you, Lord, we have our existence and everything that we have and everything that we know is because of you, Lord. James tells us, Heavenly Father, that you are the giver of good things, Lord, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And if there's any good and any perfect gift in our life, it is a direct result of you. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your presence in this place today, God, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 You may be seated. And I just uh, want to real quickly. Um, thanks, man. Just real quickly, before we get into, di- into today's message, um, I do want to just give everybody a heads up. If there are kids in here, this is going to get very adultish um, towards the end of my sermon. Um, so I don't see any smaller kids in here, so we're good. Um, and if you're, a par- if you're a kid sitting next to your parent, you're probably going to go, ooh. Um, so... Yeah, whatever. But you'll know when we get to that part of the sermon. So if you're kids and you're sitting next to your parents and you want to go ahead and separate, now would be the perfect time to do that before, you, before we get to the ooh part. And y'all are wondering, what in the world am I going to say? Well, you're just going to have to pay attention. That means you can't fall asleep. <clears throat> Some of you know who you are. So you're like, wait, that's not fair. <laughs> well, you don't have the microphone, so I get to say it. Anyway. We're going to continue on with our series here on spiritual warfare, understanding this battle that we are engaged in. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, we're going to start with this, and for the next several Sundays, we will take a break for Easter, um, but this series will continue on short, just shortly after Easter, but we're going to start with the actual spiritual armor. Now, before I get into this, uh, 614 is up there. We'll get that in a, in a second. Before I get to this... There is, there is some teaching around spiritual armor that just simply isn't true, and I want to point that out because it's probably something that you've heard. And then people will say, I get, up, I get up every morning and I put on my spiritual armor. You don't have to put it on. Like, you live in it. You sleep in it. It's always on. This isn't, okay, well, I need to uh, put on my shoes of peace this morning and sit on the side of my bed and pray on my shoes of peace. And, uh uh-oh, I better put my helmet of salvation on make sure I'm saved today. So, okay, Jesus, um, save me again and put my helmet on again before I get out of bed. And that's just, that's silliness. All right, so I just want to point that out. Every morning, you don't have to put on your armor. Okay, this is... This is something that we walk in and that we live in as we begin to go through the armor in the next few weeks. So chapter 6, verse 14 of Ephesians. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now we're only going to get to the first part of this verse, and that is the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is hands down the most important aspect of all of your armor. It is the belt. Every dad's like, yes, the belt. Right? No, not that belt. It's, it, it is the most important piece of armor. So Paul starts with it first. And you're like, why is a belt the most important piece of armor? Anybody asking yourself that right now? Or are you just like, I, you get it? <laughs> Pins right. It holds your pants out. Like, Worst thing be charging the enemy and your pants fall down, right? 
That would be an awful picture. Um, but it is, the, it is the belt of truth. And here's why it's the most vital, especially for the Roman soldier. The Roman soldier's belt that came around his waist, it can, what, here's what was connected to it. The sword's sheath, the sword, his sword is connected to the belt. The belt also has a place on it for his shield to rest. And though Paul doesn't mention it here in 614, actually he does mention it, and we'll talk about it. This will be the last piece of armor. He doesn't mention it by name, but he does mention it, is the lance, the spear, also rested on the belt. The belt can, held the, the sword. The belt held the lance or the spear. The belt held the shield. The belt also held down the breastplate so that as the soldier's moving or running, the breastplate's not flopping up in his face. The belt held everything together. And if that belt's not there, guess what happens? Does he have access to the sword? No. Does he have access to his shield? No. Does he have access to his lance and spear? No. Is his righteousness just flopping up in his face? Is this, he? Yes. He can't see where he's going. It's flopping. It's banging on his chest and his stomach and his face. Yes. The belt holds everything together. This is why it's the most important piece. The belt of truth holds everything together. It, it, it's so important. It keeps everything to, connected. Now, you might be asking, well, then what is truth? What is truth? In fact, this is the question, and it seems like for thousands and thousands of years, this has been the question of mankind ever since Pilate asked it in John 18, 38, when he was examining Jesus, right? When Jesus is arrested and he goes before Pilate and Pilate says, he washes his hands of, do you remember this in scripture? He washes his hands of Jesus and he looks at the crowd and he looks at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of those that brought Jesus and he goes, what is truth? And it seems like today the secular world has the same issue with truth as they did 2,000 years ago. What is truth? Christians don't have this problem. We've discovered truth. We know what truth is. But the world's going, well, I don't know what's true. What's true for you isn't true for me, and what's true for me isn't true for them. And we all know that's a bunch of malarkey, right? If, if that's true, then go to your bank Right? And if your bank account's got $100, go try to withdraw 1000 Because what's true for you isn't true for them. And it's true for me. I have $1,000, not $100. So give me 1000 Does it work? No. It just it sounds good because we don't really want to have to think about things. And as long as I don't have to think about things and think through things, I can just make life simple. In fact, there was a study that came out last year. It was pretty interesting. And they looked at, they looked at every generation going back to uh, back to the 1600s, and they found that every generation actually thinks less. Our level of, our depth of thinking is not nearly as deep as it was in the 1700s. We cannot comprehend things like they did in 1700. What they found, though, what they did find in the study, which they did not expect to find, is that humanity has become more active. We're more active at producing but through constantly producing, constantly acting, constantly doing, we're thinking less and less and less and less. Wow. I mean, I didn't mean to insult anybody. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, because I'm standing here today too, right? And so 
is a pretty interesting study, and, and if you and if you want to know which what it is, um, I'll have to look it up and get back with you. But they went all the way back to the 1600s and found that the depth of understanding your fellow man and society and history has greatly continued to decrease since the 1600s. But our activity and our ability to get things done has astronomically increased. Now you have to ask yourself, not which would I rather have, but how do we create a balance? I don't think it's either or. I think it should be both and, right? We should be considering these things. So it seems like since the time of Pilate in John 1838, we have been asking, what is truth? What is truth? And yet Paul writes in Ephesians 6.14, put on a belt of truth. So you remember a couple of weeks ago that I said that the Bible always redefines itself? The Bible defines itself. If you need to know what something is, the Bible will give you the answer. You just have to dig for it. The Bible defines itself. It's the only living book that, that defines itself. And so in John 17, 17, we find this. We have John 17, 17. There it is, Mike. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So when Paul says put on the belt of truth, what is truth? Well, John, the beloved, tells us your word, your word is truth. Now, this is interesting because there's, in the Greek, there's two words for truth. There's, uh, there's tr two words for word. Your word is truth. And there's two Greek words, logos, L-O-G-O-S, which we'll talk about today. And then there's rhema, R-H-E-M-A, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. But this particular word is logos, L-O-G-O-S. It's where we get the English word logo and it actually has four meanings, and depending on how it's used, it will, define, it will define itself within the sentence that it's being used in. But you'll find that all four of these definitions have something in common. The first definition is it's just a collection. You just have a collection. You might have a collection of antiques. You might have a logos of antique signs. You might have a logos of Russian nesting dolls. You might have a logos of antique cars. You just have a collection. It means to collect. The second definition means to take in an account or consider. You would, you would have an account of something, right? You have an account, like an accountant, tax seasons here. Oh, everybody roll your eyes. All right, it's okay. <laughs> okay? You would take an account of things. Um, the third definition is to catalog things. And then the fourth definition of how it's used here is it means to write things down. Logos is the Greek word L-O-G-O-S. And so here in this, it means the written, things that are written down, the written word. And what's he, what is he referring to when we talk about the written word? We're talking about this. Your Bible is the logos, the written word. So if I were to write you a letter and send it to you, that would be logos. The other Greek word rhema, R-H-E-M-A, means the spoken word. So I'm speaking to you. You're hearing my rhema right now. So if we were, if we were writing scripture or we were back then, you'd say, well, he's rhema -ing. <laughs> I just made that Greek word English, rhema -ing. But if I wrote you a letter, I would logos. And so this is what he says, that the truth is the written word of God. Right? 
And we got this word from the Nicene Council in 325 AD, where they went through all of these letters and began to compile these. And there were 300 bishops with Constantine who got away, and I don't need to get into all of that. Simply to say that, they said, this is the written word of God. These letters are accurate and true to our faith. This is the written word of God. He uses, and I'm going to steal my thunder here just a little bit, because in a few weeks when he talks about the sword of the Spirit, that everybody says, oh, the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. And that's not what it says. It says the rhema of God is the sword of the Spirit, the spoken word of God. So when God speaks to you, that's the sword of the Spirit. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. This is the belt, and everything hinges on the belt. Your faith, your prayer life, the spoken word of God, when God speaks to you, it hinges and lays on this. Everything comes through the truth of the word of God, the written word of God, right? So the loin belt is the only visible piece of armor. When you talk about your spiritual warfare, this is the belt and everything rests on it. This is the only tangible, visible piece of your spiritual armor is your Bible, right? You guys with me? Everything you're going to do in your Christian life is going to hinge on this. How you act, how you feel, how you think. Everything hinges on the truth of the word of God. This is why David said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David said, I took your word to heart so that I wouldn't miss the mark with you, God. Because I don't want to miss the mark with you. Because I love you that much. I love you more than I love my own feelings. I love you more than I love my own thoughts. I love you more than I love my own actions. And I want everything that I do to light up so that I don't miss the mark with you. I don't want to miss the mark in my relationships. I don't want to miss the mark on my job. I don't want to miss the mark in my marriage. I don't want to miss the mark in how I handle my money. I don't want to miss the mark in how I parent. I don't want to miss the mark in anything with you, God. And so I've taken this thing to heart. The Bible says that the beginning of wisdom, King Solomon said this, the wisest, one of the wisest men to ever live, number two, only to Jesus, okay? He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to know how to be wise, respect this. This is what King Solomon's saying. The word fear there in Hebrew literally means to respect, much like you would respect an outlet, Right? You don't fear an electrical outlet, but you respect its ability. You respect, King Solomon says, the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is not some old dude sitting high on a mountain with a long beard, right? Here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is understanding when, where, and how to appropriate and use the knowledge that you have. Because knowledge and wisdom are different. Knowledge is understanding how something works, how I should communicate, how I should get this across. Wisdom says, this is how I should get this across. This is how I should use that. This is why I'm doing it. This is the ancient way in which we should communicate. This is how God would have us to communicate. Wisdom is understanding how to apply the knowledge. But without wisdom and without God's understanding, you will take your knowledge and just use it however you want, whenever you want, the way you want, to get what you want because you are inherently selfish. 
I am inherently selfish to build my own kingdom. I will do things that get me accepted. I want to feel accepted. I want to get the likes, right? I want to increase my likes and my comments on social media. Look, half of those likes don't even count because they come from people sitting on the toilet, all right? So that, they shouldn't even count, half of them. You guys are all laughing because you know it's true. The point is this, that we will inherently do anything we can to bring glory to ourselves and to say, look at me, I need acceptance, I need to feel loved. And God says, it's all right here in truth. You just have to change the way you view acceptance and the way you view love, right? That's where it comes from. That's where acceptance and love comes from, it's from, from the truth. And so that when Pilate, 2,000 years ago, washes his hands of Jesus and looks out at the crowd and goes, well, what, what, is, what is truth? What is truth? Why, why does truth matter? Would you, somebody please tell me what truth is. And society is still asking that question today. And Paul goes, guys, truth is the very thing that holds us together. Truth is the very thing that we rely our entire faith on. We've got to have this truth. And not only do we have to have this truth, but we have to have it so hidden in our hearts that we will not miss the mark with God. So that we know what the Bible says about the issues of life and about our thoughts and about our actions. And then when I know who I am in God, I don't care how many likes or how many comments I get or how many whatever. Because I'm so satisfied with God, I don't even need to have social media. Oh, snap. I just busted somebody's world up. Right? Like, it's not even important. Because I know who I am. And whether you like me or not, doesn't matter. I know who God's designed me to be. I know who I am in Christ. And because of my salvation, because of God's love in me, God's love for me, I am changing everything about me to be in the image of Christ. That's what truth does. Truth brings freedom. Truth brings a new reality. Right? Without truth, I have no access to the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema, the spoken word of God into my life. I have no access to prayer, or, nor do I know how to pray, which is a lance. I have no faith without the truth, because my faith is over there somewhere in something else. But with the truth of the word of God, it stays close. So what happens when we lay down our Bible? Righteousness is no longer tied down. You have nothing to rest your faith on. You have nothing to keep your sword close. You have nothing to rest your lance of prayer on. You have nothing when you lay down and get rid of the belt of truth. Nothing. Tossing aside scripture will cause you to come undone. Completely. Laying aside scripture in your life causes you to come undone and revert back to a different person. But keeping the written word of God in you keeps it all close and ready for use when you're attacked. When I have the word of God and I get attacked, I know what to do. I know what scriptures to pull out. I know who I am. I know I, God can speak to me more clearly because the Bible says, and Jesus even told his disciples, he says, listen, when you get accused of things and you get taken before the courts, don't worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit will bring back to your remembrance what you should say. And at that time, you will speak the word of God. That's what he told his disciples. When they bring you up on trial because 
you're a Christian and your beliefs and they bring you before the courts because of your belief, Jesus is like, don't stress it. If you've stayed in my word and my truth is in you, the Holy Spirit will pull it back to your remembrance and you'll be able to speak for yourself. Wow. But it all goes back to keeping the belt on. Right? It all goes back to having the belt on. Now, here's the other thing that the loin, that loin belt was so important for, and this is where it's going to start getting a little adultish, but I want you to hang with me. It's okay if you laugh. Right? It's okay if you laugh. Everybody laugh. <laughs> thank you. All right, that was really fake and corny, but you did it anyway, so thank you. All right. The loin belt of truth for a Roman soldier also protected the reproductive organs of the individual. Okay? It protected the reproductive organs of the individual, of the soldier, right? First John 3, 9 says this. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. So John writes here, and he says, I want to clarify something before we get into our main point. He says that no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. You say, well, I've given my life to Christ, and God lives in me, and I, and I believe in Jesus, but I sin. What John's emphasizing here is that you will not go on, continue habitually sinning in the areas that you were sinning in. He says, if you really love God and God's really in you, you'll know because when you sin, it will penetrate your heart and it will say, oh, God, I'm sorry, right? I didn't mean to do that. God, please forgive me, etc." You won't continue on habitually in that sin, all right? So don't take this to mean, well, I sinned. That means I'm not saved. And that's not what John's saying, okay? Now, now it doesn't mean that some people may not struggle with certain sins, throughout their life. That's certainly possible. We see that in other scriptures, but they don't desire to. They slip up, okay, but they don't desire to continue to sin in that area. So, because God's seeds remain in them, the word seed here is the Greek word sperma, S-P-E-R-M-A. You see where we're getting adult now? So good. I don't even want to tell you what. English word we get from this, but sperma is in the New Testament 35 times. This was the Greek word for seed, okay? That's what this means. So that literally John says that when we are saved, God takes the seed of the Holy Spirit and he places, places the Holy Spirit in us. And what happens to a seed when it's placed in good soil? with proper nutrients, what happens? It begins to grow. In fact, I'll tell you, as you read through your New Testament, every time you see the word seed, it is the Greek word sperma. You just can't translate that into English, right? <laughs> because then it becomes horribly sacrilegious and weird and just disgusting. But it is the seed of God, the Holy Spirit, placed inside of you. God says, okay, you accept Jesus, and I'm going to plant the seed of the Holy Spirit in you. Now, it is up to you to begin to connect with the Holy Spirit and begin to grow the Holy Spirit's influence in your life so that it begins to grow out of you. This is what John's saying. He says that God places his seed in you. Now, you're like, okay, what in the world does this have to do with the belt 
of truth, right? 1 Peter 1.23. 1 Peter 1.23 says, For you have been born again, not of, there's the word again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So let's pull all this together as we get to wrap up this morning. You have been born again. If you are here and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, you've confessed Jesus as your Lord. You believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he came, he died, he rose again for your sins so that you could have, not only have eternal life in heaven, but you can have eternal life here so that your death is just simply a doorway into the next dimension. If that's what you believe, then you've been Born again. You've got new seed placed inside of you. Different seed placed inside of you. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable because it's eternal. Through the living and enduring, guess which Greek word the word is? It's not rhema, it's logos. The written word of God. Because you have Read, understood, somebody has conveyed this to you. This is what Jesus says when he says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Because people hear the gospel message, they hear the rhema, they hear the rhema that you speak, and then they put their faith in the written word of God and what it says. And so because of that, God says, now because you believe that I'm putting my seed inside of you, now begin to grow in it. And as you begin to grow in it, you won't, continue to habitually commit the same sins. You might slip up in your temptation, but when you are tempted and you, and you, what? You fail in that sin and you fall to that sin. First John 1, 9, God is faithful and just to forgive us if we ask for forgiveness of our sin. I got news for you. First John 1, 9, we use it as a salvation passage. It's not. John was writing to Christians. He's telling Christians, when you sin, go to God and ask for forgiveness, and he is faithful and just, and he will forgive you of your sin. And so Peter writes here, and he says, through the living, this written word of God is living and enduring, as in eternal. This is the belt of truth. This is the belt of truth. And the belt protects your ability to reproduce Christianity in the world. Because you can now take the message here and go share it with other people. And go share it with your coworkers and your neighbors. You say, well, how do I do that? You love them. You, you might hand them a track or you might talk to them about Jesus, but more often than not, if their yard needs mowed, go mow it. If they need gas money, give them gas money. If, if they're in dire straits, go love on them. Why are you loving me like this? Well, let me share with you about Jesus. That's what it's about. That's how you share Jesus. You don't ever, like, just, you can, and people do just randomly share Jesus on the street corner, but most people don't come to Christ that way. And I'm not knocking any method of evangelism because every method of evangelism has its, has its value. So if Christ calls you to stand on the street corner on a box and preach the gospel, then do it. If he calls you to go love your neighbor and just take care of their dog while they're on vacation, then do it. Love them. Share the gospel with them. Guess what? We shouldn't be panicked 
We are not a panic people. Why aren't you panicked about what's going on in the world? Jesus said it was going to happen. He said he'd keep me safe. How do you have so much peace with all of this, right? Like last night, Iran fires 12 missiles at our embassy in Iraq. All of them missed overnight. Why aren't you worried about that? China says anybody tries to keep us from taking, just overnight, while you were sleeping, China says anybody tries to take, uh, keep us from taking Taiwan, you will, you will face our maximum punishment. Why aren't you worried? The truth, the written word of God said, worst case scenario is going to happen. It's okay because I'm eternal. Amen. And death is just a door. Death is just the alarm clock of your physical body. It's okay. It doesn't, I'm not stressing this. I'm going to protect my family, look after my family, and care and love people. At the end of the day, I know who wins this whole thing. Our job is to get as many people on the winning side as we can. And the belt of truth is my ability to reproduce my faith and what I believe into somebody else. And the Roman social, so when Paul mentions in Ephesians the belt of truth, his readers knew because Roman soldiers walked the streets every day in their gear, ready for war every day. And so when he says belt of truth, they understand because they see the Roman soldier and they see that it protects their reproductive organs. But not only does it protect their ability to reproduce, it also protects, it keeps the sword close and the shield close and all of those things that I said before. So when Paul writes belt of truth, you and I, we don't really see it because we don't see Roman soldiers walking up and down the street unless it's like Halloween or something, right? But his readers would have known, it would have clicked with them. And here's my prayer for you today, that as you go out of this place, that you would have a hunger and a drive and a desire to know more about this logos, the written word of truth. Because out of the written word of truth comes the rhema when God speaks to you. Because if you know this, then God's going to bring it back, as Jesus said, he'll bring it back to your remembrance and go, oh yeah, Jesus said that, Paul said that, Peter said that, Isaiah said this, Jeremiah said that. Oh, that's in Genesis or Exodus. It lines up with scripture, so I know it's Jesus. I know it's the Holy Spirit talking to me. I know I should move forward in this so that Jesus might be lifted up and he can draw men unto him. That's why we're here. This is a war. And Satan wants to silence that. He wants you depressed. He wants you to think, oh, I can't say anything about Jesus. I can't blah, 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 blah. I shouldn't do this. He wants you full of anxiety. He wants you, he wants you feeling like you're not accepted so you get acceptance on social media. False acceptance. This is what he wants to keep you silent, to keep you buried, to keep you scared, to keep you running because he knows if you ever wake up to what's really inside of you, he loses. It's time that kind of like we should be waking up Amen. to what we have and who we are. There's a reason for, this, for the first six months of this year, we're studying what you as a minister should understand. This is why spiritual warfare is a part of this six-month thing. That as a minister, you understand you're in a war. This is spiritual war. And what you see happening in the physical world is a result of what's happening in the spiritual world. 
And if you don't think there's a war in the spiritual world, then look at the physical world. There's, it's a war going on for the souls of men because we're made in the image of God. You're made in God's image. I want to encourage you this morning as you go through this week, open your Bible, open the truth. Download the app on your phone. Let it just soak into your mind and your emotions. Think on it. When you get stuck by a train, you're sitting at a stoplight, right? You can jam out to classic rock and country and rap and whatever you're listening to, or you go, okay, now what was that verse I read this morning? I've got 60 seconds at this light. What was that verse I read this morning, right? You can shut off the news and just let your Bible app play and read out loud while you're eating breakfast. You just soak that belt of truth up and get it in you so that when something happens, you're like, ah, I'm ready to roll. I'm ready to roll, right? Nobody wants to run into this war with their belt undone and their pants falling down. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand up. I'm going to ask the team to come on up. We're going to close out in song. If you're here this morning, I'm going to invite Steve to come up. Uh, Steve Jett, come on up. And if you're here this morning as we close out in song and you want prayer for anything, Steve's going to be over here uh, to pray with you. But let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence. Lord, I thank you that your love, your grace, and your mercy has been poured out on all men so that they might come to know you. Lord, you said in your word that you're not willing that anybody should perish, but that we should all come to the everlasting love of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that does not know you, that hasn't accepted you as Lord and Savior, I would, God, I just ask that you would speak to them this morning. Lord, maybe they don't have an hour left on this earth. Maybe their time's coming in the next 60 minutes. Maybe their time's coming in the next 24, 48 hours. Maybe their time's coming 50 years from now. Lord, none of us know when our time comes. So, Lord, Lord, may we be prepared every second, every minute, to walk into the spiritual realm and meet you. In Jesus' name, amen.